Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Sparkify episode. Uh, it's Friday again, so it's Friday wrap, um, as always. And, uh, you know, we've, um, we talk anything and everything about, I guess, investments, not necessarily just property. Um, you know, I think I'm very, very grateful that we've got, you know, I guess, a couple of our investors with me here, uh, as always, on the panel, uh, who's always joining me for a bit of yarn on the Friday afternoon. Except we're missing our cryptocurrency expert today, Jazz, who's uh, not feeling very well today. Um, he'd, uh, he had his uh, had his dose, um, so he's doing the right thing. He's definitely doing the right thing. But uh, yeah, after after you get jabbed, you, you don't feel very well, unfortunately. That's my personal experience as well. So I don't know about you, how you feel, that John. Yeah, I think you had your you had your dose already, haven't you? I had my first jab this week, uh, and there you go. Uh, yeah, I didn't feel anything. Yeah, I, I feel completely fine. Yeah, so I, I heard that with Pfizer, the 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 pains on the second jab, but I could yeah. be um, I could be wrong. But yeah, uh, no, I'm I'm halfway. <laughs> when are you getting your second one? Soon, in a three weeks time. Yeah, two, two and a half weeks. Two and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, good. I think AZ is the other way around. So uh, yeah, I'm, right. I'm getting I'm getting mine soon as well. But AZ one, the first one was strong, knocked me off. So yeah. right, right. Well, good to see you. Yeah, likewise. Mate, about likewise. Our chat. <laughs> likewise, likewise. Always, uh, always looking forward to this time where we can uh, have a bit of yarn about what's happening to the market. Um, so again, I think it's another interesting week. I gotta say, um, you know, the the one of the one of the thing that caught my eye, uh, even though I haven't really had much time to look into it, was the flow on effect of uh, of this uh, China second biggest developer company, Evergrande. Um, and I know John, you've um, you know you, you've had you've you've kind of looked into this more than I do, so I might I might lead you into it. But based on my observation, there was a dip in terms of cryptocurrency markets, share price markets, commodities, etc., around earlier this week, um, and we suspect that could be related to the Evergrande crisis that uh, that we thought about. So, would you be able to give us a bit of context around, I guess, what is Evergrande and why do you think that had this impact to, uh, I guess, to the investment markets? Yeah, definitely. Well, Evergrande is actually a topic that we chatted about on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. So talk about being ahead of the curve. Uh, we, uh, we certainly uh, flagged it as uh, one, of those, one of those risks. Now, Evergrande is, is China's second biggest uh, property developer. It's listed on the, the Hang Seng um, Stock Market Index in Hong Kong, and Evergrande, it's, it's a massive, massive company, but it's, it, to put it into some context, it's, it's a property developer, but it's the company that built a lot of the, the ghost cities in China, in, in the, the cities that no one lives in, they built the apartments uh, and they have, they have a pretty standard um, developer model where they take deposits and, and then try to sell them uh, and then roll onto their next um, their next asset. Now, in China, you can't own freehold land. So these are all leasehold properties on 70-year leases. But other than that, like it's a fairly standard, um, fairly standard property developer. Now, Evergrande uh, has $300 billion US dollars worth of debt that it flagged, it flagged it can't pay. And it's it's due in different installments. And one installment was due this week. This is why it sort of came up this week. China flagged that it wasn't going to bail it out, but I don't think that's necessarily quite accurate. Um, so in, in a lot of the Western press and Bloomberg and so on, this Evergrande 
bankruptcy. So the the, the Evergrande share price is down eighty five percent. So it's it's the, the collapse is already it. in. Yeah, yeah. But it's being touted as China's Lehman Brothers moment. And uh, and and potentially, you know, potentially it is, and maybe we can have a chat about whether that's likely. But uh, the th- th- you know to to compare such Evergrande had three hundred billion dollars worth of debt that it can't really repay. Lehman Brothers had $620 billion worth mm. of debt that it couldn't repay. Um, so what it, what it led to was a bit of a pan sell-off during the week, and some of those markets have recovered. So on, I think, Monday or Tuesday, the Dow Jones was down about 600 points. Yep. Uh, then it recovered 100 and bounced around. But it was actually up um, quite a lot, and it's back to square one. Uh, I was about up about 500 points yesterday. So the Dow Jones and the stock market indices have recouped their losses. Gold and silver got smacked. The oil price uh, went down, and, and but, but it bounced back. And the cryptocurrency markets got back this week. And whenever mm-hmm. anyone asks why is crypto down, it's because of Evergrande. So it ha- it's one of those. It's one of those. You know, the analogy is, of course, when there's so much debt in the system, it's like an avalanche of snow accumulating, mm. and there's always one snowflake that that sets the uh, the avalanche. Is Evergrande that snowflake that that sets off that uh, like a, a 2008 in motion? Possibly. That's my my personal mm. yeah, my personal perspective is that it's not going to be the Lehman Brothers moment. And the reason I, I say this, I, I'm sort of borrowing from a hedge fund manager who wrote an article this week, but what he essentially said, and I think it's really relevant for a predominantly property-oriented podcast, mm-hmm. and that is that Evergrande owns land and apartments. Evergrande's a property, a property business. And Lehman Brothers owned financial instruments. It owned derivatives, essentially, um, CDOs and all these sorts of kind of illusions of illusions of wealth as we call it so ultimately you know like real wealth trumps paper wealth real yep. wealth trumps illusory wealth and what um what evergrand has isn't worth what it thinks it's worth and it'll have to get written down but at least it's real and so my my suspicion is that this guy who wrote that article is probably probably right uh that it's it's going to be easier to write down evergrand than it would be to write down Lehman Brothers to whatever its true worth was. And how, how do you know when it's, you know, what, it's all what, paper. In, it's all paper. Yeah, wealth, isn't right. it? yeah. You just never know. Yeah. It, it reminds me, you know, that Wolf of Wall Street scene. Yes. Matthew <laughs> McConaughey's going, it's a Fagazi, it's a Fagazi. Uh, so that, that's Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers had all this pretend wealth and at least, um, uh, you know, I'm sure it's, it's got its skeletons, but Evergrande, if it's, if it's in real estate, that's at least tangible stuff. So I think I think that plus I think China will probably step in and um, and do some sort of a, a bailout of sorts. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah so, so Evergrande's Evergrande's the the company that everyone's talking about, and uh, be interesting to see how it plays out. Mm. Uh, interesting. Look, I think yeah, it's a certainly. It, I really like the analogy that you that you put in there. You know, it's uh, it, you don't you just don't know which snowflake is going to trigger that avalanche. And it shows how fragile at the moment, I guess, this whole market is just because it's it's amassed with debt, you know, completely amassed with debt and cash and everything, right? So 
Um, like we said last year, I think this year it's just going to be a swing of crazy swings of out, out about, you know, like any kind of little indicators um, that's uh, just like the, the Evergrande story here, you know, can't pay off the $300 billion of debt, starting to show a bit of uh, negativity in terms of that, that's going to have a big flow on effect, potentially yeah. big flow on effect on the market, which we saw this week, right? Start of this week, but I guess... Um, <laughs> At the same time, it's won back pretty quickly. You know, by now, I think most of the commodities, share markets, etc., have actually got back to where they were prior to this dip. So um, who knows? I mean, I know you're you're big in terms of conspiracy theory here, but uh, <laughs> would you be someone's kind of like manipulating that news to be able to take advantage of buying the dip for something? You know, maybe it's I don't know whether it's it's something there i don't know so oh speculating probably, probably. yeah i mean you, you're certainly uh talking to the right guy i don't have any conspiracy theories for this so uh, i i think it's fun Fair enough. but i think i think the look it, it actually all ties into what i think we're about to talk about which is you know things like will they put interest rates up yeah. is pro- are property prices too um too high you know when there is so much debt in the system asset prices need to stay high um, otherwise, the system collapses. So, to, to use Evergrande as the example, if they've got three hundred billion dollars worth of debt, that's a problem if they have one hundred billion dollars worth of assets. But it's not a problem if they have uh, seven hundred billion dollars worth of assets. Yeah. And so, if you bring it back to the Australian context, um, in a highly indebted situation, they won't want to bring house prices down because House prices support the debt. If they put interest rates up to bring house prices down, all the debt's not all the debt needs to take a haircut as well. And the debt is essentially the bank balance sheets. Mm-hmm. So now they're stuck. They can't raise interest rates because that'll bring asset prices down, and they'll have to take a haircut on their on their uh, debt. So all the talk of interest rate increases is highly overblown, I think. But we can come to that in a second. Yeah, no, I think that's a great leading in terms of uh, what, what we are about to talk about, which is uh, in relation to, um, you know, everyone saying that house price is too high. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's directly caused by the low interest rate environment, which I know, uh, you know, Governor Philip Lowe was, has, has kind of pointed out um, in a very sort of a blunt, blunt way to say no. Um, the low interest rate has, you know, whilst it's it's one of the consequences, but that's, you know, not the main cause of it to a, to a degree. Um, but having, even though having said that, you know, that basically the, their stance was house prices are not RBA's responsibility at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, the low interest rate, we, we needed that because of the unemployment, because the actual real unemployment in Australia is quite poor. We want to keep the inflation targets. We want to keep the wage growth, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's a lot more than just property prices uh, in, yep. in this instance. Um, but having said that, that was, that was probably the uh, Governor Philip Lowe about two or three weeks ago when he was making, uh, when he was on a conference of some sort. Um, but having said that, this week, the Assistant Governor, Michelle Bullock, has, um, has actually revealed that uh, they are now assessing tools that could be employed in Australia to manage the risk associated with health prices. Okay, so um, the ever-growing market and any potential health price crashes would pose a potential financial stability risk 
to the system. So that's where they're coming from. They're not control. They're not wanting to control the health property prices. However, there is a risk in terms of the health property prices crashes. Then it will potentially impact the financial stability risk. Exactly like what you just said there, John. You know, the debt level versus the actual asset value. Like you said, if a house today is only worth five hundred thousand dollars and people are gearing up to one mil type of debt, that's a huge problem, and that's going to cause financial stability risk. So they are starting to assess that. Um, and I think that's in line with essentially what we've been talking about the whole way through, right? Like RBA is going to do something, except we don't know when and we don't know what. Most likely they are going to trigger something, for example, uh, you know, putting my broker hat on. They can easily put a stop in terms of lending. You know, they can control lending by putting a stop in terms of what they call the debt to income ratio, uh, which a lot of banks already implemented. If you got six or seven times of debt more than your current income, even though if you can serve the debt today, they are not going to lend you more than that. Simple, simple as that. Now, if they put a hard stop to say, no one can lend more than six times of their income, straight away that will have an impact in terms of people, how much people can borrow, and straight away that will have an impact in terms of the property prices. So that's one of the things that we think, or I think personally, as something that they could employ without having to touch the interest rate in this, in this instance, but still be able to maintain a certain level of control on the property prices that just continues to run wild at the moment. So, um, and, and it seems like, you know, obviously they're putting in these cautionary notes and comments out there just to warn the market. We are monitoring it, but we don't know when we're going to put it in. And we are discussing if, you know, worse comes to worse. If we need to step in, what are the mechanisms that we should be doing? So. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's right. They will regulate um, lending, but they won't put interest rates up. And they, mm. they need to keep interest rates low because interest rate, low interest rates are funding government deficits. Yeah. Um, they're also preventing panic selling. So it means you can, you can hold on. Um, so... Uh, yeah, but look, the, the, the central banks of the world are talking out of both sides of their face because they have come out, such a horrible expression, I apologise to the listeners, um, but they, ha they are saying that they want inflation and then when they get it, they blame the market in which the inflation pops up in. It's like, no, 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 you, 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 um, this inflate, the house price increases are de baked, they're designed, right? That, that's, that's baked in. When you shut your economy down and there aren't any uh, cylinders firing, yeah. What you want is at least one cylinder. And in Australia, it's holes and houses. It's the property market, the mining industry. So they, they wanted to stimulate the one part of the economy that, that, that wasn't comatosed, which is the, the property market. Um, and they thought that they, you know, the RBA, you know, when all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Anything, if anything happens that's bad, they will just lower interest rates. But that's all they, that's, mm. all, that's the way they think. That's what they think. Um, my personal view is that it's very rich to talk about asset bubbles because if asset bubbles are bad, then stop blowing them up. Asset bubbles don't come from anywhere else but the central bank. Central banks are bubble machines. Uh, so, yeah, it always amuses me. It's like, uh, uh, you know, the RBA burns your house down and then comes over with a bucket of water and says, how can I help? It's like, no, 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 just don't, just don't burn the house down. Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, anyway, but yes, re regulation is probably going to happen in 2022, and uh, um, but but they'll need to keep the rates low. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's been reiterated for a long time, right? I think that there's a couple instances where, you know, uh, the, the 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 RBA governor had to come out and and kind of say, uh, we are definitely not putting interest rate up anytime soon, up until 2024, despite a lot of banks and economists' predictions that they will come earlier um, to give that assurances. Because the yeah, reality is, they they know that uh, they they probably want, and because of this delta impact we're currently seeing again, you know, like we've always been saying, this just prolonged low, lower interest rate environment even longer, in essence. So Yeah, well, the, the Fed, the Fed came, it was a big week for news, actually. The Fed came out this week and said hmm. um, that they were going to taper soon. They didn't put a time frame around it, but they said sooner than later. And then they said that they wanted to bring interest rate increases forward by a year. And we've on this podcast said that they will, they will definitely talk about interest rate increases and then, and then, Never do it. But the, the day after they had their announcement on Wednesday, the um, jobless figures came out on Thursday and they were yeah. worse than yeah. expected. So they'll talk interest rates up, but then the data <laughs> comes in. It's not good enough to do it. So, look, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Ta- tapering, yes. Interest rate increases, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good. Okay. All right. Um, so I think those are the... I guess the, the news that's worth highlighting this week and, um, uh, you know, with, with Jazz not here, I think we've, we've covered some property topics this week again, which is our favourites as always. Um, and uh, I, know, I know you talked on, uh, we, we discussed offline last time and, um, you know, we've always, we've always chatted about this interesting topic. Before, we'll, we'll put it as our topic today for everyone. Um, is, prop, is investment property a passive a passive investment. We talk about that, right? Like, because I think a lot of people, especially new investors, um, have this idea of you buy a house or you buy an investment property, you get it rented out, and then you sit back and just collect the rent. It's simple as that, right? Um, but I guess experienced investors have probably told us it's slightly different. Um, so, I guess. I guess I want to I want to circle around our discussion on that topic today. You know, is is property and actually a passive investment class, in your opinion, John? What do you reckon? Mm. I think it. Uh, I think by definition it is, but I don't think it's necessarily true. Uh, I, I was listening to a Gary V show of hands, listeners. Who knows who Gary V is? <laughs> Gary V is this uh, highly energetic entrepreneur in, in the US who. Um, yeah. Uh, is in marketing. He's fantastic. Anyway, he he got questioned on this, which is sort of why it was why it was rattling around in my head. And his response was, uh, "I won't do an impression, but he said, guys, there's no such thing as a passive investment.'" And I thought, "Oh, that's interesting. Okay. That's interesting." Yeah. Um, and I think his reasoning was something along the lines of, "Let's say you buy let's say, let's say you buy an investment property and you borrow seventy percent of the funds. Mm-hmm. You 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 had to save up." via working, you had to save up for the deposit and then you have to pay for the repayments. Mm-hmm. So property, if you borrow to buy a property, it's not passive in the sense that, like if you stop working you, and you'll fall behind in the repayments and you won't be able to, to, to afford to hold it. Plus you needed to work to buy the deposit. So if you look at the life of the asset, even though eventually, potentially, eventually it will become passive in a, in a, in a sense, um, the fact that you have to work to incur debt means that it's only indirect in a very literal sense, but in, in a real sense, 
it's not passive because in order for you to even get in the market, it involves blood, sweat, and tears, right? And I think that that's fair enough. Look, there's also, you need to be constantly vigilant about the property, maintenance of properties. The properties will need to be renovated once every 10 to 15 years. There's yeah. always things that go wrong and tenants ask for things like air, air conditioners and stoves and things like that. So, um, but I, I think, I think it's interesting, the concept of working for the debt that the property investment needs. Because if we're just thinking about replacing ovens, it's a pretty light touch investment. Mm -hmm. But if we're thinking about servicing debt, then I think it, it, it's not passive, is it? But what, what do you think, David? I think it's interesting. Yeah, no, no, no you're absolutely right. Look, I, so I think that what you touched on, there's two aspects of passive while you, while you were talking about there, I was thinking about there's two aspects of passive or two perspectives of looking at whether it's a passive or, or, or an active, right? Um, the first one is essentially what you mentioned, um, you know, you got to do all the work um, to be able to, you know, uh, to be able to look up for the property, you got to obviously, you know, put in the effort, do all the due diligence, etc. And save up the deposit, of course, right. But I think in that instance, it's the same as if you're buying any kind of investment classes, you know, whether you're buying, whether you're buying share, whether you're buying cryptocurrency, whether you're buying a business, there's always going to be a certain level of due diligence and certain level of funds that you will have to save up before you can actually put that into yep. diverse investment. So, so I think that part, it's probably no different to any other investment classes in that sense. Well, the, one thing I would say is that you don't necessarily borrow to buy crypto or shares. Okay. Yep. That's a good, that's a great point. Yes, absolutely. Um, which means you've got to even do even more work to try to save up. <laughs> so, <laughs> but very, very valid point. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that's a borrowing. So borrowing, borrowing aside, look, you know, the other aspects of the, of the process of when you purchase an investment classes, you do need to put in an effort there in essence. Um, and then, and then that leads into the second perspective, which is, you know, is property something that you just put in the money once and then you just sit back and basically go, yeah, it will run itself in essence, right? So that's where, this is where it starts to get interesting because, you know, you can look at it as a few different aspects that just, I'm going to take a brand new property versus an existing property, which is a very, very simple scenario, right? If you buy something brand new, obviously there's going to be less maintenance and less active monitoring and management that's required on a day-to-day -day basis. To a degree so that's kind of probably more in my personal opinion more of a passive uh inverted commas <laughs> degree um, because there's less chances of things going wrong from the maintenance perspective side of things at least for the first couple of years uh, let's put it that way simply versus a say for example you bought a 30-year house a bit of a shack you need to do a bit of work get it renovated and then ongoing there will be you know the the um the, sorry, the hot water system might be out in a year or two years time. Um, and then there might be other issues that's coming up, air conditioning, another common one, that kind of stuff. So you're always going to be involved at a certain level uh, to, a, to a degree. So, you know, if we put that kind of perspective on, um, I guess it's, yeah, I wouldn't say it's purely, purely passive, definitely in comparison with the likes of, say, for example, ETFs or shares, right? You buy it once, that's it. Uh, you know, unless on, on, on the share is not going to have a property manager coming to you and say, hey, the stove has gone bad. Can you please, da, 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 da. you know, we need to fix and we need to get a send the tradie out there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that doesn't happen with, I guess, the shares, the commodities, 
um, side of things as such. Whereas in property, and whether that's residential property, uh, I think commercial property is a bit less uh, to that extent. Correct me if I'm wrong, John. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, so we're talking about just purely residential property here. There will be, based on my personal experience, there are a lot of active management that you need to be involved. And, uh, you know, but there's certain aspects that you can make it a bit simpler in terms of management. So this is where I think, um, based on my personal experience, for example, a lot of the day-to-day -day small fixes, um, you don't necessarily need, um, you, don't need, you don't need your PM to come to you for approval every single time. You can basically set them up uh, with a certain budget to say, look, if it's anything less than $400, for example, uh, you do not need my authority to be able to engage a tradie to get it fixed straight away. So that way it's going to minimize a lot of the active management that's required from you. That's one of the tips that I think I've learned throughout the way, <laughs> in essence. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And John, I don't know about uh, about you, what, uh, have you got any other ones that, uh, that you can actually share as well? well well, you know, no, I agree. Like, like it's in a sense, it's passive for who because they, yeah. you know, if you're if you're um doing it right, you should be running it like a business. Correct. And uh, that means constantly monitoring things. It means getting three quotes for for major repairs. There will always be major repairs. Um, and so, to your point, you can you can outsource through a, to a property manager the day to day running, a collection of the rent, kicking tenants out, finding tenants. There's all that sort of stuff, and it's only mm. passive because you're paying someone else to do it. Um, yes, and yes. you absolutely should get a property manager. You shouldn't shouldn't manage it yourself if you can. Um, so, so, yeah, look, it, it's not passive. It's um, it's being managed by someone else. And property managers are relatively inexpensive, actually. Um, probably costs a thousand dollars a year mm. uh, to to manage a property. So that that's pretty good. Uh, that's pretty good. Um, you know. Properties will cause you trouble from time to time, and it's usually around vacancy. It's usually that that sort of thing. Um, and major renovations will come up. When that happens, you'd be reading through and comparing quotes, and the quotes won't all, always have the same scope. So if you treat treat it like a business, and it'll be time consuming. And of course, how many properties you own makes it time consuming as well. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, look, outsource to a good property manager. Most things will sort themselves out and, um, uh, you know, be dealt with that way. But I, I don't, I, yeah, I just don't think it's, I don't think if it's, I don't think it's that passive, um, but you can mitigate it. You can mitigate it through pro good property management. Would you be able to consider at any stage of that uh, property investment journey that mm. the residential property can be passive? Any stage, uh, any stage from acquisition all the way to holding, all the way to, I guess, towards the end selling. Oh, not, not, not really. Look, uh, strata departments are more passive because mm -hmm. strata looks after things. Yep. I mean, if you own a house, it's a little bit more hands-on. Uh, if you own a unit, it's a little bit more passive. Um, but every property will cause you trouble at different times. Um, really, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, and every property will be time consuming at different times. Yeah. So they all, and it doesn't make it a, a turkey or a dog. It, it just means that it just needs a little bit more of your TLC. But uh, I would say that apartments are, apartments are slightly more passive than houses are. 
because you've got the grounds and the roof uh, roof and those sorts of things and they, they will cause you trouble yeah okay. but, yeah. but um, yeah so so uh, I think that's one way to sort of rank the, the level of passivity on the uh, on the investments mm. Mm. yeah definitely a lot easier given given that you've got a lot of things that you go through the strata committee which is kind of like yeah. I guess you know a company's board of directors to a degree everything need to be agreed exactly. everything need to be reviewed that kind of stuff right so you got someone else you're paying a strata fee but that to an equivalent is you know someone else actually solving or reviewing and making yeah. sure that things are being run within the strata complex rather than you yourself as the owner of a house for example doing all that review and all that managing work instead so yeah so i, I definitely agree with you i know i've got i'm sure you do as well i've got you know units and houses and different investments and you know, the amount of times that I get calls in terms of a unit issues is definitely a lot less than the houses mm-hmm. issues. And um, But at the same time, if you look at strata down pain, sometimes you go, yeah. Oh, yeah that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's from right. a cash flow perspective. So, um, yeah. Well, a lot of people say to me, oh, look, I don't want anything with strata. I don't want to have to pay strata. I'm like, but why not? Like it's, it means um, it's, it's a load off. And uh, to give you an example, we had uh, some massive roof problems that we had to pay for yesterday. It cost us like seven or $8,000, but wow. we don't pay strata on that property. So it, it just means that you'll have to pay your strata, quote, in a big cluster a when something goes yeah. wrong in a in different, a different way, way, right? In a different way. Yeah, yeah. No, no exactly. I guess, no, that, that raises a great point. Uh, you know, why would you want to pay strata or, you know, a lot of people don't want to pay strata. Uh, Sometimes I look at it and look, I think that their thinking obviously is if I can minimize that cost, mm. right? Like ideally, and, and that, that's why not only just because I prefer houses over units because there's no strata, but you've got land component, et cetera, et cetera. But putting that aside, um, you see some of these, I don't know, duplexes that actually has a strata um, or, uh, you know, like, and I look at it and I go, well, what's there to manage? That's one of those yeah. funny things because if it's as long as it's strata title, then I think by law you actually do have to have a strata committee, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. There, whether whether it's just one or two person, right? In in that mm. instance, you still got to have to have a strata committee, and you still potentially still have to have the bylaws in place and and and, and all that kind of stuff. And you still got to pay a strata. But I said there's only two out, like you know, you you and your neighbor in essence. But does that oh, make God. sense to have a strata in that case in that scenario though? No, oh, look, it depends what common areas there are. Like if the lawns are common or it depends what's on title and what's not on title. But yeah, I mean, a duplex with a strata committees. <laughs> I was going to say a lot yeah, of time. Yeah, I can't understand what, what the, the common areas would be there. But um, yeah, one, yeah. Of those, one of those silly things, eh? So, mm. But look, not, nothing that works is easy. So property investing isn't completely passive, but there's a big payoff. Like if, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. But lots of, you know, the statistic, I don't have them to hand, but most people drop out of property investing after after one property. And yeah. if it was easy, everyone would do it, but it's not easy. And that's why it's so rare to find property, you know, uh, property investors who have done it in a, in a, in a, in a serious way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's probably proof indirectly that it's not as passive as people think. And I think, yeah, a, a big chunk, again, I don't have the stats with me as well, a big chunk of them sell within the first 10 years as yeah, well, yeah. five to 10 years, right? It's probably during that period, you know, when, when their initial interest only period has expired and they go, oh, this is enough headache. I'm actually not seeing much capital growth. They get rid of it. And then 
you know, I'm a, but yeah, unfortunately, the, uh, the the golden time for investment property is probably from ten year ten plus onwards. That's when you yeah. see the actual upswing based on the compounding growth. So, yeah, okay. Well, what about commodity, John? I guess definitely passive uh, in terms of the markets, or definitely, in terms- definitely definitely passive in terms of the investment. I'm assuming oh, gold. Yeah, like you can't you can't do anything with the gold. You buy can't do anything with block. it. <laughs> you store it. You can either do it yourself or pay someone to do it, or hold an ETF. Yeah, it's that's really passive. Shares are extremely passive because yep. you're essentially buying a management team. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to. Th- yeah. Absolutely. Completely passive. Um, but high risk because you've outsourced literally everything um, in those instances. Mm, mm. very. Yeah. It's just there. It's just holding. Uh, holding in storage. Yeah, yeah, okay. Good. Crypto is right. passive as well. Uh, bonds and debt, they're passive. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, look, it, by, by relative standards, I mean, uh, so a business is a very active asset, so, so that's a completely asset. It's not passive at all. But uh, real estate investing would be the next most active, actively held asset, you know, mm-hmm. Um so it's interesting, you know, when people like uh, Grant Cardone talks about, you know, you need to own passive investments. You do, you do, but but they're they're all on a sliding scale of what's more or less passive. And real estate's not com- not completely passive. It's just more passive than running a business and less passive than holding shares. I would classify more as an active uh, investment rather than a passive investment to a degree. Right. Just yeah, just. It's yeah. It's it's really not. It's I mean the way I look at it, yeah, it's not really passive at all. Um, but in a sense, you know, it gives you more control as well in terms of the asset, like you said, right? Like you get to dictate what you want to do with it. You get to take when you want to do with it. You also get to take when you want to sell this asset as well. Um, so yeah, while there's a lot of things that you cannot do, but you know, the renovations, the value adds piece, you do have a lot of control over that. Um, so, you know, that way it's more of an active rather than more of a passive, you know, in comparison to you can't do anything with cryptocurrency after you bought it, right? You're purely, purely based on how the market reacts and same thing with share markets and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, so different, different asset classes for different investors, I guess. Yeah. How much? And even if you're not like really getting in there and, you know, like rendering walls and stuff, you're still making decisions Mm. and that's not passive either. So even like my property managers do everything, but um, we still give them, we still have to come up with a decision. So they'll say, you know, so-and-so would like an air conditioner. Do you want to do it or not? And it's like, yes or no. That's a decision. That's not, even if it's from an armchair, it's still a decision. Um, and it's still being active or, or you know, do we want to, um, which tenant do you want to, you've had three applications, which tenant, that's, that's a decision. Yes. So it's, it's not um, like if you own shares and the board of BHP make that decision for you, you, you have to make the decision. So mm-hmm. yeah, decision making is an active process as well. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, I think that, uh, that covers that off pretty well. Anything else you want to add on that topic, John? Oh, no, nope. that's a good one. Uh, anything, uh, any updates on commodities uh, side of things this week? Uh, Apart from the bloodbath, look, that we, uh, the short dip that we saw earlier this week. Yeah, look, I'll be super quick. Gold up, silver down, and uh, oil oil back up. And these are all following the Evergrande uh, corrections earlier in the week. Mm. The one thing I'd say is watch uranium. Uranium, I think I mentioned it a week or two ago, but uranium popped about a month ago. 
Okay. Um, because as sort of we're looking for alternatives to coal and the um, and nuclear powers, you know, clean and and so on. Watch uranium. Uranium has been in a um, in a very bad slump since the Japan uh, nuclear pro- uh, I can't remember uh, power station. Pro- I can't oh, remember yeah. the name. Yeah. Of it. What was it called? Ten years ago. But, uh... but, um, yeah, yeah, I know, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, it's so, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uranium and, and nuclear has been in a funk since then, and it might be coming back to life. So if, if that's of interest to you, have a, have a look at that. Mm. Um, but apart from that, it's, uh, you know, commodities have been down this year after experiencing, not, not completely, but there's a lot of inflation in commodities last year, and that's, that's come back a little bit. That plays into the central banking idea of transitory inflation, um, which we seem we, which we seem to see everywhere except for housing prices, <laughs> um, but uh, but look commodities are commodities are pretty stable at the moment and um, yeah oil, oil and uranium watch those two for the time being yeah yeah right yeah yeah cool uh, I think that was the Hiroshima city wasn't it the nuclear the nuclear event one I think it was it Hiroshima oh it wasn't Hiroshima but it was something was it Hiroshima like that. Yeah. No. Anyway, all right. I uh, just slipped my mind. All good. Um, all right. Um, anything you want to touch on property this week, John? Anything worth mentioning? I think the auction clearance rates in Sydney are still pretty crazy high, around 80-odd plus percent, and uh, the volumes are still pretty high too. Yeah, yeah. Clearance rates are high, over 80. Anything over 70 generally indicates a rising market. So mm. we're well well into that. It's I think it's the high 80s in Sydney. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, the core logic data is suggesting that, and I don't want to be too Sydney-centric, but that Sydney property prices are going up at about 0.4 of a percent per week, which is it's, it's still, we're still at about 1.6 to 2% a month. That's staggering. I mean, that's, you yeah. know, considering real estate goes up at 7% a year, 2% a month is, is, is insane. It's, you know, um, an annual growth in three months. Um, and look, there is nothing to buy. There's nothing to buy. And those shortages are getting more and more acute. Mm. Now, we're all in spring here. This, this is supposed to be the selling season. This is supposed to be when all the supply comes on, online. And it's, it's, it's just not happening in any meaningful way. Um, so d- detached houses in particular. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah the, the property markets are still uh, forging ahead and we're about to reopen, uh, you know, and... and I can't. I can't see property prices not having another good year unless regulation or interest rates step in to stop it. Mm. I think. I think that if I if I borrow something that I heard, I think from Tom Panos the other day, you know, the the supply of the market is no longer controlled by seasonal, as what we as what we what we used to see. Right, the spring typically is the is is the big selling season with lots of people wanting to put properties on the market. It's more dictated now based on the lockdowns instead. When is things getting lifted? Uh, when are we getting more freedom? Uh, when when yeah. are sellers starting to get a bit more confidence that they, they're going to get the highest prices mm. after? Because you know, a lot of people are holding are still holding off putting their properties on the market right now because of the current lockdown, right? So um, that's playing a bigger impact than the seasonal impact based on the current yeah. rule. That's the way we look at that, it. That, that, that's a big observation with real implications. So the, a lot of the Anglo-Saxon countries, plus let's say Hong Kong, Singapore, mm. um, they were never reliant on the political, um, on political influences. So that they were, the economy ran essentially independent of those things. 
which is why people wanted to live here. So we, but but now if you've got the the, the housing market relies on decisions made in Canberra, it's it's it is a we are in a different. That's a different world. That's not what yeah, Australians yeah. are used to. Um, the other interesting thing about markets at the moment is, um, you, you know, record high after record high on the Dow Jones and the stock markets. And what's actually feeding it is bad news is good for the stock market, which is another, we've seen this for a couple of years, maybe since 2008, actually, but bad news is inflationary. Good news makes the market go down. And that's because we know that the RBA and the Fed and the ECB will keep their foot firmly on the on the floor as long as there's bad economic news. And I'll just remind you that, that the jobs number disappointed straight after the Fed said that they'd be raising interest rates sooner than later. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't, what I would also say is, it, 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 particularly for those budding real estate investors, don't bother making any predictions. <laughs> they will all be wrong. <laughs> Just do what do, do what you want to do. Yeah. Well, no. If you, like we always said, if someone's telling you that they can predict it tomorrow, then they're definitely lying. So yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, look, I think uh, we'll wrap it up. So uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode. Again, um, you know, none of this is uh, financial advice. Uh, you know, just, uh, I guess, me and John have a bit of yarn in terms of what we see, what we, what we, what we are thinking. Um, so please do your own due diligence before making any investment decisions. Um, and, um, yeah, look, uh, like, like always, we will, uh, we will see you guys again next week and um, stay safe and um, hopefully everyone will get their freedom back very soon. Cheers, David and John.